One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gezenazareth, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simeon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simeon, put out into the water and let down the net for a catch. Simeon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you said so, I will let down the net. When they had done so, they caught some, a large number of fish that their net began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both, both to full that they began to sink. When Simeon Peter saw this, he fell at the Jesus kneel and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of the fish they are taking. And so were James and John, the sons of Sebedes, Simeon's partner. When Jesus said to Simeon, then Jesus said to Simeon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. Fast 11. So they pulled their boat up on shore, left everything, and followed him. We're from fast 29. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, this will be from verse 27 to 31. After this, Jesus went out and saw a taskolator by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said unto him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi had a great motive for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of law who belonged to their sect explained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? <laughs> 31. Jesus asked them, it is not the elderly who needs a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the writers, but sinner to repent. May God bless his word.
Well, welcome. How are you doing this morning? One, two, three. Good. Yeah. I suppose uh, if you answered anything different, we'd probably have to stop and take care of it, right? So. <laughs> All right. Hey, I want to let you know that last week I had the wonderful opportunity kind of bouncing off from uh, Tammy's giving notes, had this wonderful opportunity last week to present at Faith Assembly, Pastor Roger Brown's church, community meal and a story. And so this idea of being able to partner, which is one of our core values, partner with others is real. Not only with EMU uh, and crew and MSU and crew. I love saying that. Sorry, folks. I just love that. Yeah, I know. And then Thaddeus and Nikki and, you know, all of our other partners. But we are developing partnerships locally that are just super valuable. Super valuable. Not to us and not to them. But I believe to the kingdom of God, right? The, the, just seeing the kingdom come and lo- watching the development of relationships happen within our community whether it's at Esserbrook or with Faith Assembly. So I I just want to let you know, great reception. They will be on board with us. Uh, We're just working alongside them and seeing the development of it. And we want you to continue to pray about that. And yes, uh, you know, I'll be honest. We're not here for your money, but it does help. It does help to spread the kingdom. Well, Adinka, thank you for reading this morning today's word. We're going to do a couple of things this morning. One, I'm going to bring a very brief and probably very fast message. Uh, some of it is review, but then we're going to call up a few, uh, few of our friends, and we're going to have a panel uh, regarding a few questions that some of you ask uh, re- uh, on hospitality. Uh, we think that that's one of our, you know, to have people reflect uh, where they're at, uh, in some of these biblical concepts and how they're growing is just a wonderful opportunity to grow ourselves. So we're going to do that. Well, as you know, we've been in an eight-week eight series or eight-message series called The Table. We'll conclude it next week. You will not want to miss it. It's one of those places where Jesus really uh, brings uh, all of these concepts together and he offers up himself. It's just a wonderful, wonderful place uh, to see hospitality um, through uh, that lens. Well, we may think about hospitality through the the lens of people we do know, right? I mean, we tend to gather around backyard barbecues, we invite our friends over uh, for birthday parties, for gatherings with coworkers, even some of those that are remote in our workplaces, we still have this kind of familiarity with them. Uh, reunions, uh, yep, we've talked about that a little bit. Not everybody in reunions, especially when you're a little kid. They walk up to you, oh, you look like, you know, you're like, you know. But they know you, and you kind of go, okay, they're a relative. I'll give them some, a little bit of grace here, a little bit of rope or whatever, whatever. Even, at, you know, even class reunions, right? I mean, 30 or 40 years out, you haven't seen them, but you still go back and you have familiarity, right? Because you relive those those high school days, or whatever they may have been. You have some shared understanding, but what we need to understand is that what Scripture brings to us in the term of hospitality is that, but it's, it's greater than that. It's bigger than that. Hospitality uh, is from this word, philozenia, which is 
what we've talked about is the love of a stranger or the welcome of a stranger is where I would like to go. We encounter, uh, when we read the Gospels of Jesus, those Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John Gospels, that Jesus is continually and parentally inviting and welcoming those who are far off. Wouldn't be on our invitation list. Not even close. Not even close. Simply reading through Luke 14, which we're not doing today, uh, you could do it this afternoon, you will find that, that Jesus really drives home the point that our task as followers of Jesus in the kingdom of God is not to invite our friends and neighbors. Sorry. It is to invite those who would never get invited to a list in your neighborhood. We did never get invited. Those who sit at the high school table or the middle school table all by themselves, those are the people that Jesus drives home, and especially Luke 14, and I think it's Matthew, maybe it's 25, I can't remember. But he drives home the point that these are the people that, that he invites to the table. Hospitality is often found at the table with food, friends, and strangers, right? People we have yet to get to know. But long before it is a feast at a table, it is a transformation of the heart. And that's what I want to drive at today. A heart, the mind, and the soul of those who say they're followers of Jesus. We may have in our lifetime been extended hospitality or the taste of it, right? Quite a, quite a few years ago, quite a few years ago now, there was this conference event we, a bunch of us were attending. And the word got out amongst us. There were enough of us that I wasn't connected to the, the leadership, you know, per se, that we were invited to this restaurant, the whole crew of us. Uh, make sure you dress up was kind of the word. And, you know, so, okay. You get there, and the budget or the the menu listed items exceeded the budget that I was I was <laughs> I had at the time. I mean, it's just one of those things. So you kind of go through, and you think, okay, what can I get a la carte here that won't bust the bank? Right? There was a large group of us, and I didn't know everybody. Come to find out. Remember, order, I think probably one of the lower budget items on the, on the menu, and I eat anything, so it doesn't really matter too much. Uh, some of you would like, that would might freak you out. But at the end of the meal, it was paid by the host. Right? The bill was taken care of. Now, you may think, oh, that's not a big deal. It happens to me all the time, or I do that all the time. Well, it is a big deal when you think that you, you have to, you know, you have to bring and pay for and take care of and all of that. And the, at the time, the host of the meal that I think paid for it, I don't really know, didn't even know me. You know, Jesus does that for us. Well, he knows us, but he pays a bill and we think, wow, why would you do this? He overwhelms us with his grace, his love, and his mercy continually. Maybe you have been welcomed, and that's probably not the most lavish uh, welcome or hospitality bill that has, has ever been paid for by me, you know, for me, but it was sure lavish in the moment. Maybe you've had the same thing. Somebody's like, 
Oh, I got this. Are you serious? Really? No, no, I, I have it. No, this is way. And you, you want to wrestle around that idea. But I think this is where the heart of what Jesus is calling hospitality really starts. It starts before you get to the the table. It starts before the invitation comes in the mail. It starts before any of that. It starts with a transformation by the overwhelming grace and power of Jesus himself in our lives. That we are willing, we have the ability, and we desire to give that same kind of, uh, you know, invitation to others. So... This morning, that's why I landed in Luke 5. It seems kind of a strange passage, but it's an incredible one. Jesus is fresh from his formational wilderness experience. He feels the sting of rejection in his hometown. Just go ahead and chapter 4, you'll read through this. His hometown drives out impure spirits and has been healing many. And as we approach chapter 5, Luke records these words from Jesus to us and to them when they wrote it, I must proclaim, and he spoke it, I proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also. That, that is because that is why I was sent. He's basically saying, I've come. Repent and believe for the kingdom of God is near. That's his, that's his message. That has, that, that's what plays out in everything that we see in the gospels of Jesus. And this must be an ever-present mission of Jesus in our minds, in our hearts. When we read and think of Jesus, we don't think, oh, he was just so nice. No, he was bringing the power and the presence of the kingdom, and it was coming in force. So as Adinka read, Jesus is standing at the, at the lake of Gennesaret, sharing the good news to the, to the crowd, the good news of God to the crowd that was standing there. And he sees a boat, and picking up on the natural amplification off the water, he didn't want to force like I'm doing right now, force volume. So he sat in the boat. I, I really believe that that's, he knew what would happen. And if, in case you're wondering, and you've ever been out of the boat and you've gotten an argument with your spouse or your girlfriend or, your, or anybody else, everybody can hear it. I just promise you, everybody can hear it unless they have something loud that's going on around them. It's just amplified. You might want to think twice now before you go canoeing, right? Yeah, yeah it's one of those things. So once Jesus is done, he tells Simon, at this point, Simon, to put out in the deep and lower, he says, lower your nets for a catch of fish. Now, just to remind you, Jesus is not a fisherman. Jesus is a stonemason. Peter is a fisherman. John is a fisherman. James is a fisherman. They know when to catch fish. It is at night when you catch fish. But I love what Simon says because he picks up on something and we're not sure quite all that he picks up. He says, because you say so, I will. Friends, this is where we start with a transformation of heart, mind, and soul. I don't understand, but if you say so, okay. I'll I'll bring what I have. I'll lower my nets. I'll do what you've asked me to do. At this point, Simon is not a disciple of Jesus. He's, he's not been invited in. We know this. We've read this. He is simply a fisherman caught in the midst of a roaming rabbi that everyone is following and listening to. I mean, he's caught in the crowd. He's just taking care of his fish in the background. Can you imagine? Hey, I want to use you. And he says, because you say so, I will. 
Simon's willingness gave way to a big catch of fish. Uh, they, they were, their nets were so full that they began to break and they called over their partners, as we read, they called over their partners to bring in the fish. Because you say so, I will. Verse 8 says this, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me. For, Lord, for I am a sinful man, for he and all his companions were astonished. They, they, they thought Jesus was awesome at this point, but they were astonished. There's something here. At the catch of the fish they had taken, and so were James, John, and the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. What was it, what was it about the catch of fish that brought Simon Peter to his knees? He and his partners had been out all night using all the tricks of the trade that they knew about fishing. And I'm sure they were, they, I'm sure that they were even invoking God to help them. Because a good catch of fish meant their families could be fed and they could keep going. What was it? The passage said says this, when he saw this, when he saw the catch of fish, the visual catch of fish, the grace of God delivered in 153 fish, John records it that way, he saw this, he fell to his knees. He realizes that Jesus is not just one good old rabbi from a local synagogue that's dispelling his thoughts about what God, who God is, but that he truly is God. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore. Can you imagine this? You make the most money you've ever made, and you walk away from it. But that's exactly what they did. And they left everything and they followed him. Jesus spoke to Simon's heart. Don't be afraid. The power that you have just seen is not something to be afraid of, but something to be embraced and lived out. We ask, why would Simon be afraid of catching fish? Because it was not just catching fish. It was a transformation. It was a power of the presence of the living God in that moment that was overwhelming. He didn't bow to the fish. He bowed to Jesus. His knees fell before the, him and called him Lord. This overwhelming power was, is fear-inducing. But if it wasn't countered with the shalom the peace of Jesus and his presence, he would have been left ruined and wrecked. Jesus' encounter brought Simon to his knees before Jesus, and Jesus is, Simon is humbled by the encounter with Jesus. Can I just tell you that I think that the door to hospitality is humility? The door to true biblical hospitality is humility. The complete, recognized, and understood fact that Jesus sees me, he knows my heart, he knows my need, and he addresses it. That is 
totally unnerving. It's totally, it's wonderful, but it's unnerving. Whoa, how did you do that? How did you know what would grab my heart like that? Philippians says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you to the interests of the others. I think that when we're, when we're brought into this place of humility before the Lord, when we are able to drop to our knees before him and recognize him as Lord and Savior and, sh- and shed pride, you know, God's opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We are in the place where we see other people just as we are seen by God. You see how, how, how humility works with hospitality? We don't have a posture of superiority anymore. Our, our posture of our heart and our mind and our soul is one of, oh, we're, we're in this together. You need me as much as I need you. Luke 14, the chapter I said we aren't going to read. Jesus noticed the guests who were invited to the Pharisee's house for the meal were self-selecting their seats of prominence. In verse 11, it says, Jesus says to them, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He goes on, Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends. What? Don't invite your friends. Don't invite your brothers and sisters either. Your relatives or your rich neighbors, if you do, they, will, they may invite you back and so will, you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, is Jesus saying we should never have our relatives? No, that is not what he's saying. But he's saying that the preeminence of our heart should be that those who are not invited normally to the table, that to those who are left out, that we in our minds normally and naturally go, oh, who's on our invitation list? Are you going to cousin Bob? You know, is Sue? I mean, no. Those who we wouldn't think of should be invited to the shock of the invitation to them. Can you imagine? Why are they inviting me? Just as I was invited to a table at a restaurant at that point, at that time, I would have never gone into because I would have looked at the price list out, outside the door. and went, nah, not today. Love sees and responds to others not only to our own interests. Jesus' interaction with Simon Peter was a loving revision of how life is to be done. An invitation and a welcome to Jesus' power which gave way to invitation and welcome that continued to this very, very day. I'm not sure Peter ever forgot his, this first interaction with Jesus. Two boatloads of fish? Now, 153 fish, I know some of us uh, we think today in today's terms, wow, that doesn't seem like a lot of fish. 
because I've gone out and you know, I've, I've done this, caught 30 fish on my own pan fishing, right, uh, in a day. Yet at that time, it was a lot. And it was this, it was a holy welcome where he left the catch behind for a whole new mission. His heart was torn by the welcome and the invitation, the, the power presented in Jesus in that moment to fish for men and for women so that they may live, not so they may die. Think about the, the contrast. Scholars talk about the contrast here. He fished for fish that they would be dead to be eaten, but he now fishes for men and women so that they may live forever. Let me ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, do you remember your welcome into God's hospitality? Your welcome into the kingdom? Because that's what it was. He welcomed you and invited you to a table you didn't deserve to sit at. I do. It was the summer between my sophomore and junior year in high school. The location was Estes Park, Colorado, where I accepted the invitation to the hospitality, the table set for me by Jesus. It was humbling. I had the same mind and the same heart in those moments that Peter had before Jesus. The power and presence with God was so great, it brought me to my knees. It brought tears to my eyes. It changed me forever. You see, Jesus desires for his followers to experience the love, grace, and mercy of his hospitality, to live out his love, grace, and mercy for all people. Do you remember yours? Can you revisit that day? There are some of us that we kind of go, hey, can you, can you nail down with Jesus? And we're like, well, I've always been. I, I think that there ha- there, there's, there's something about going, you know, I'm sure of this. Whether it's a day or not, we have to be sure of the power and presence of God in our lives. It gives way to the invitation to others into the kingdom. It allows us to speak with, with, with confidence, with courage. Simon was humbled into the hospitality of the kingdom of God. Later in Luke 5, Jesus extends another invitation and a welcome, driving home his mission and the kingdom's hospitality. Quickly here, Simon, Peter, uh, he's with... Now, Jesus is with Simon Peter. He's with James and John. These guys are lowly fishermen, uh, not the worst of the worst in the class of Jewish society. But they, Jesus sees, off in the distance, he sees Levi. Levi's at a tax-collecting booth, right? It's like, the sign's out, pay your tax now, right? And Jesus walks up. Now, Levi is a Jewish tax collector for the Roman occupying government. Not making many friends. Not the Jewish community and the Roman government just was using him. Using him. He really lived in what we would call no man's land. He may have been at a lot of high-end parties, but he was only a cog in a wheel. Ever been there? Ever been in a place where you really didn't know if you were loved or cared for or valued? That you're just part of a system? Well, 
where you knew you had enemies because you made enemies in your workplace or others. This is a cause and effect when we look only to our own interests and take care of ourselves. This is really, this is what's happening. I mean, Levi was looking to his own interests as he gets himself into this pickle. If I had just a little more money, if I looked a little bit richer, if I had a little bit more, if I was in with this crowd, right? And he's abandoning the God designed for him, that he would live for God. Luke 27, 527 says this, after this, Jesus went out and saw the tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at the booth and he said, follow me. And Jesus said to him, uh, Jesus said to him, a Levi got up and left everything and followed him. I mean, he, he has what he's been looking at for. So why would he leave this job? Why would he leave this position? Why would he accept the invitation and the welcome from this traveling rabbi who is just passing by? The same reason that many of us and some of your friends will accept that invitation because they've been dying for you to invite them. Their hearts are hungry for something solid. They, want, they don't want milk anymore. They want steak. They want solid ground, not sliding slopes. He had been languishing, I believe, for a long time. Now, we can't, we can't really know this, but I would guess that he was. Why would anybody walk away from that kind of cash? We could talk about it later, but Roman government had their price. He could set whatever price he wanted. Take it home, build a mansion, do whatever he wanted. They didn't care. It took humility on the part of Levi to accept the hospitality of Jesus extended. He had to give up position and power in the community, the Roman government, to gain a seat at the table with Jesus. He simply had to give up. He had to recognize that there's a greater power, there's a greater way. So humility is continually the door to biblical hospitality. You see, Levi's liberation led to hospitality extended to others that Jesus uh, immediately, right? Verse 29 says, then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his home. Man, he's done a good thing. I'm holding a banquet for him. And a crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Can you imagine sitting at the table with Jesus, being addressed with this, and he answers them from the table, probably out the window. We can talk about uh, at another time how their houses were built and constructed so this kind of interaction would take place. But he answers them, hey, it's the sick who need a doctor. That's why I'm sitting here. How would that make you feel if you're sitting at that table? What? That's why I say humility is one of those things that opens the door to hospitality. We have to reckon, we have to raise our hand, man, I'm, I'm as sick as they come. Paul, as a chief of sinners, distorted all the way, but I know I need Jesus. Humility. How do we define it? 
Philippians defines it pretty well for us. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking in your own interests, but each of you should look to the interests of the others. And we realize, whoa, wait a second, this, this, this presence of God, this power of God, this grace of God, this mercy of God, the love overcompensing all of that of God has just wrecked my life and ruined my life in a good way so that I can do some good that he's called me to do. That's why hospitality is not just opening your home. Hospitality is not just meeting with people. It's part of it. But hospitality has to have this driving characteristic of humility. It says, oh, we're in this together. Your interests or my interests. So what's, what's our next step? I, I think for me, just quickly out of this, is this. You need to remember you're welcome. We need to remember our welcome. When was it that you were saved? I mean, God's doing something in you good now, but I think of the words of the writer of Revelation who says to the church, he says, remember your first love. You remember who captured your heart? Gave you a clear conscience, allowed you to have a, a conviction in an apathetic world? Ah, Jesus. That allows us to draw others to the table, as, as Brother Ray said last week, without judgment, because we're, we're not different we're the same as. Maybe just a little bit farther in the journey, but we're the same as. And it's hard for us to admit that, right? It's hard for us to go, whoa, wait a second. Oh, yeah, that's right. I did kind of tell that white lie the other day. Or I'm not totally honest with myself. I mean, we're there, right? Humility must lead. Psalm 25, 9 says this, He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. So for hospitality to thrive and to live, it must be found through the door as a part of it in humility. Well, we want to take a few moments as we change uh, a little bit here and respond to a few questions. So I'm going to ask our, our panelists to come that are going to be on our panel uh, to answer a few of these questions this morning. Tommy Strader, who uh, is a point person in our community, Meal and Story. And Brother Ray uh, has ministry experience. And uh, Ruth Matthew, who's been leading, did you know that I think she's been leading a small group at Ipsy Free for nearly 30, 30 years? <laughs> and then Adinka, Adinkan, is going to join us because I, we think of, uh, we think, 
of hospitality in an American way. And I, I just want to open the door, open the door to the opportunity of hearing how hospitality is done around the world a little bit, a little bit. So I'll turn this on and you y'all answer as you desire to answer these questions. Now the first question is this, how can you be a friend with people without knowing them? If Jesus calls us to be a friend of all people, how, how are we to do that? I guess I'm starting. Um, so with Community Minnow's story, right, everybody who comes in the building is pretty much a stranger, right? So what, what we do and what I do is everybody, as they walk in the door, I greet them. Hello, how are you? Treat them with respect, with love. Because I don't know who, what their day has been, how they're, how they're, you know, they may be having the worst day of their life when they walk in. So we treat them with uh, love and respect. Another thing I do is, uh, as I go about my day, I take the bus almost everywhere I go. So I will greet almost everybody I see on the bus, at the bus stop, everywhere I go. I greet them. Hello, how are you? Um, you know, sometimes I get a response. Sometimes, you know, they just keep walking or whatever. But I'm opening the door for someone to be able to respond that I can show them Jesus' love. Well, I, um, I'm next. <laughs> I just had to shake my head yes to what he was saying. That is very much it. Um, I greet people no matter where I'm at. If I'm standing in line at the grocery store, I usually have something I can say. And most of the time, they respond positively. But people who walk into this church usually come here for a reason. They're either looking for a church, they're looking for love, they're, they're lonely, um, and I just love them. I just love to... to see new people and to greet them. And I love old people, <laughs> everybody who's here. I just, I have a, a, a love in me that God gave me and I, that's the only place it could have come from because I was a loner. And um, I had a, um, um, those personality tests and I was an introvert. I took one many years later and I was not. But I am still a person who likes my private time, but I love people. Amen. I should, uh, I'm, I'm looking at the time, I, I, and I, I'm long-winded, so I, I'm just going to pass it on to you. <laughs> if you did not know, Adinka has a postal route, so that's the other thing that kind of feeds into this. He, he uses his postal route. So. Yeah, like um, I said, I love everybody that comes around me. Even in my workplace, they know me. They usually come to me and say, we've never seen you being sad one day. You see me doing my job, and I'll be dancing, <laughs> laughing. They look at me. They will come and say, oh, we want that kind of energy. Even I have some people now, when I get in in the morning, they want to come and say, we want to share that energy. Give me a hug. Mm. Then I do. And then I know they said, oh, this is it. I love everyone around me because I want to sow a seed into their lives so that when I'm no more, you'll be able to say, oh, this guy did something. No, I want that thing. So 
And that's the way. Even if they don't love you, greet them and do what you want to do. Just make sure you sow a seed into their life. I'm sorry, I think there was a time I shared a story. There is a partner of mine that I was talking to her. She usually come to work aggressive, so moody, and ready to transfer that aggression on everybody. And one day I called her, and I was like sharing with her that no, no matter what you are going through, when you get to the gate of this office, why don't you put it there? and put another new person in you so that people will see and say, oh, this is it. She look at me and say, oh, I don't know that you are such a wonderful person. And the next day, guess what? She came to me and was like, why are you staring at me? What do you need from I was like, oh, okay, I know what you are going through. And I calmed her down. Now, I left off for some time. Now, if you see me in the morning, hey, how you doing? I said, so... We, even if they don't love you, greet them, and then that will change their story. I want to move down to uh, question number four. What if your life feels too full to add another friend or, yeah, add another friend? Oh, well, like you said, our life is full of friends, and then you, you can accommodate another friend, right? <laughs> There is no way our life can be full of friends that will look at it and oh, I'm done. I can't make any friend. Uh, in my culture, in my language, they said you make more friends. You don't make more enemies for yourself. Make more friends. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to be your bosom friend or somebody you want to share something with or you want to go to their house. But you can make friends with them to change their story. Uh, while I was reading the Bible, I laughed when I got to first study. When Jesus said, oh, a doctor, a, a, a good person that is healthy doesn't need a doctor. I'm looking for sinners. And there is a place that uh, I have some religions back away in my country that they will say, who? Oh, I can't do with sinner." And I sat down one day, I said, okay, if you don't move closer to a sinner, how will you preach to them? How will you change their life? How will you change their story? They see something in you that will motivate them and say, oh, I want to be like so-so-so. I want to change for good. This person, I've been doing this to this person. And they just sow that seed. It doesn't necessarily be that they are going to be your friend forever. But at that moment, you can change their life. We should not be saying, oh, my life is full of friends. I don't make friends anymore. Wherever you go, you make friends. It doesn't necessarily say they will be with you forever. I think when I go to America, I'm sorry, my life is full of testimony. I do share that. When I go to America, I started working with Kroger. And I have this sub-manager that in the morning when say hi, she look at you and say, mm, I didn't care. And I told one of my colleagues one day that, why is it that? I greet this woman and she didn't respond. Has any African man done something to her that she feel like, no, I don't have anything to do with this guy? But later one day she came to me and she was laughing. Who are the Inca? Please, I need your help. You have to do this. And I started laughing. I left the place. Doesn't say, okay, she's going to be my friend forever. But I make sure I so they see that change her life. Let me just quickly say, uh, 
Uh, I'm not an expert, um, uh, and uh, I wish there was a, a, a three-step solution uh, to these issues uh, that we face, but there's, n there there's not. Uh, what I do know, though, quickly is, what I do know is uh, that it takes effort. It, it takes effort. Uh, it takes effort to pray every day. It takes effort to come to church 52 weeks out of the year. It takes effort to give. Uh, also, I know that um, uh, God doesn't deal with excuses. We're told to love our enemies. We're told to forgive those. Seven times 70. <laughs> and then also I know that God is present with me at all times. When he tells me to do something, he's walking along with me. In the book Blessed, uh, the Ferguson brothers give a def definition of friend, a good friend. And they say a good friend is one who listens without judging. Uh, also, uh, one who will give uh, godly wisdom uh, and help steer the person, but let them make their own decisions and love them regardless of what decision they make. And so I, I say all of this to say we do what we want to do, don't we? We make time for what we want to make time for. What if you, your life feels too full to add another friend? Oh well. <laughs> oh well. God brings that person into your life. Whatever is important to you, you make time for. Well, I think a, um, a, a big thing about it feeling too full is that you feel you have to be that 3 a.m. person who takes the phone call. If someone needs you, well, if they really need you, and, and to me it matters nobody, whoever it is, I, if they needed me at 3 a.m., I'd get up and go. But if they're calling you because um, they can't sleep, well, take a melatonin and go to bed, you know? I mean, <laughs> do something. But I don't know if I'd be that blunt, but, but I would just say I can. You know, I can sleep and I've got to. But that isn't what you have to do. You can be just a friend like he was saying, a friend is someone who cares. Mm -hmm. And you can care about somebody that you never see again. You just care about them in the line at the store. You care about them when they walk in the church. You care about them. And you're the, they're my friend immediately. Very few people aren't my friend. And it's risk-taking. You are taking a risk if you reach out to others that you're going to get rejected. But and sometimes in the past, years ago, it used to hurt. I don't remember real well because it hasn't really hurt me in a long time. And usually I'm aware that that person is more needy than they're letting on. And that's pretty much true uh, if somebody rejects you. But you don't give up because if they need you, you need to be there because the Lord sets you in that place. I kind of have a problem with this part because uh, I get my life, I get myself so busy in life um, helping these people, those people. I, uh, when I first came here, I did uh, disaster relief, I did a wombat, I, I work in the work that I do, I, I personally help people with their chores and stuff every day. 
Um, so I get myself so crowded that it feels like you don't have time to do even God's work, right? So I had to reevaluate my life and everything that I was plugging into all these different spaces and say, does that even matter? Does watching that TV program matter? Or does, you know, some of the stuff that we do to fill up time, does those things really matter that you can't make another friend? So I, I, that's what I did. I reevaluated my, uh, re my life to get rid of the clutter so I can have time for uh, God's work. One other quick thing that I thought of that um, helps me is that there are a lot of people sometimes in my life, and, and I care about them all. But if you introduce them to somebody else, they have another friend. They're, you're not the only one that has to be their friend. There's lots of friends. I think it's just fun to hear where we've where the Lord has grown us, uh, and uh, hopefully we can utilize uh, the collective panel like this to just grow, uh, to challenge us a little bit. Let's pray. Our worship team will come out here in a moment and close us out. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you continue to challenge us, move us, change us. I thank you for the collective wisdom that Four people come up here and they, they share and we can, we can grab a hold of truth and the way that, Lord, you have guided them through the years and where you're guiding them in the moment. Remind us of how that works. Grow us into your likeness. Father, I pray that we would never forget that, that welcome you gave to us when we were outside looking in. And just like Levi or Peter, Simon, James and John, you said, hey, come, come follow me. Just walk with me. And I'm reminded of just that, that taste and see that the Lord is good, that we may invite others with us just to taste and see that the Lord is good that they may experience what we've experienced and the grand love that you have given to us Lord thank you, thank you thank you for your hospitality for allowing us to come to your table because of your son's life, death and resurrection we thank you in Jesus name, amen